This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. There are lots of vacancies at City Hall. Would becoming a counselor be a good second career for a Zoomer? And does the old adage, happy wife, happy life, hold true in real life? I talked to a professor of family science. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A bombshell report suggests that key elements of an influential and groundbreaking Alzheimer's study first published in 2006 are possibly fraudulent. The article in the journal Science suggests that many Alzheimer's studies that have been conducted over the years contain fabrications related to the hypothesis that amyloid proteins deposited in the brain may be most responsible for cognitive decline. The authors say this revelation could threaten one of the most cited Alzheimer's studies of the century. A British study finds women who don't eat meat are more likely to break their hips later in life. Researchers analyzed health and diet records from more than 26,000 women and found that over a 22-year period, vegetarians were a third more likely to break a hip than those who regularly ate meat. The reasons for the greater risk are unclear, but researchers suspect that some vegetarians may not get sufficient nutrients for good bone and muscle health. Just two minutes of walking after a meal is surprisingly good for you. A new report suggests it takes far less exercise than was previously thought to lower blood sugar after eating. While conventional wisdom says walking after a meal helps clear your mind and helps digestion, scientists have now found that going for as little as two to five minutes of walking has a significant impact in moderating blood sugar levels and that walking within 60 to 90 minutes after eating delivers the best results. The study was published in the journal Sports Medicine. Spider-Man fans are celebrating 60 years since the Web Slinger first debuted in the pages of Marvel comic books. Spider-Man first appeared in 1962 in Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's Amazing Fantasy. Comic historians debate the date of his first appearance, but Marvel claims it was officially published on August the 1st. Works such as Dracula by Bram Stoker, 1984 by George Orwell, and Outlander by Diana Gabaldon are being translated into Scots in a new project designed to promote the language, which has one and a half million speakers. Scots became the country's official language after Gaelic and before English, and to attempt to quote Scots language ambassador Alastair Heather, 
all three contribute to what history, what present, and what literature. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's being called a mass exodus. At least seven Toronto City councillors aren't running again. And with a week left to register, only 85 people are running for the 25 seats. Why is the job undesirable and could the answer be recruiting Zoomers? I talked with the man known as the tiny perfect mayor, former mayor David Crombie. The job is much more, it's much harder, uh, it's much uh, uh, much harder on your time, much harder in your energy. Um, the constituency lo- alone, work alone, is really quite more than it ever used to be. They now have a hundred thousand odd people or so uh, to, to to deal with at a time. It's very unlike uh, f- uh, federal or provincial politics. L- local government uh, members uh, work much harder with their constituents in a variety of issues of daily use. People's daily concerns are the concerns of local government. And so sometimes it's simply not appreciated how hard the constituency work is and the incredible demand of time. That, and that includes nighttime, not just daytime. How big a problem are the insults, harassment, and even threats against politicians that we're seeing so much of these days? The last 25 years or so, um, the animosity against politicians has increased sharply, um, and, and they are forever being criticized. We now live in a world where it's very difficult, quite rightly so, to attack other people for race, creed, color, or other kinds of reasons. But it's really not difficult to publicly denounce politicians as crooks and bad people. We use language today that, that you, you wouldn't use in a dog. When you're when you're when you're talking about politicians, and so it's no wonder. So we need to change that part, and you can't just treat other politicians as human beings. They are human beings. We have talked before. You have talked before about basic services not working. Do you think that plays into the reluctance of so many people to run for this office? If you get up in the morning and you go go to the bus and go to uh, uh, go to work. Almost everything that you're going to be doing that day involves a public service provided, actually provided by the local government. And we tend not to think about it. It's so obvious that the only time we think about it is when it's not working. I don't think you can change that part. I think if I was looking for things to change, I I, I try and have people begin to appreciate. We need a couple of good articles, uh, a couple of essays, uh, stuff. Where we can say, look, we don't have to like all politicians, but you do have to appreciate what the public realm is about and what service it provides. We we we, uh, we tend to underplay it. I used to say that uh, if the if the gov- if the federal government went out of business tomorrow, you'd probably find out about twenty days from now. <laughs> and if the provincial government went out, you'd probably find out about ten days from now. But if the local government goes out of business, you'll find out in a minute. A lot of people embark on second or third careers. Do you think that maybe running for council, is that a good uh, second or third I, I, career? I really do. There's a, it used to be many years ago that, that um, there was only after you served, made a living doing something, that you actually went on the council. And that's why they're called aldermen. That's why they're called the elders, because uh, they were bringing to the table 
their life experiences. And, and so it was, it was really people who had life experiences and, uh, uh, and, and were going to conduct themselves using that experience. That changed uh, uh, over the last number of years. That changed many years ago. And slowly it got more young people. We began to assume that somehow it was, it was simply a young person's game. I don't believe that to be true. Uh, I, I believe now when we've got more people who, uh, who are retiring earlier uh, and can retire earlier, um, that, that that's a good thing. And we should be talking not just about getting young people involved, but people who are retired, who are in good health, still got lots of energy and perhaps a little more experience and wisdom. So you think it's a good new career for a Zoomer? I mean, I've, I've been, I hope uh, not too negative, but no, no, there are great benefits. It allows you to, to understand the, the building uh, and the need to build community. And I don't want to bore your, bore your audience, but the fact of the matter is one of the great magical things of, of, of human existence is not only the, the need to, but the way in which you go about building community. If you imagine, no matter if you'd like your neighbor, or don't like your neighbor, or you get mad at this person or mad at that person, uh, human beings do not, uh, by uh, uh, nature, does not give them the right, the ability to survive by themselves. So we have to fashion and build communities, and communities are always in change. And so you you have to make sure that you're learning as you go that you are practicing and understanding the changes is the order of the day. And is that a, a good career? Is that a good, it's a, it's a, it's a life full of good things that you're seeing accomplished by the building of community. I spent a whole lifetime at it. And I would say to anybody, if you really want a fulfilling life, get involved in whatever aspect that interests you in the building of the human community. That's what it's about. David Crombie, thank you so much. You take care of yourself. That was former Toronto Mayor David Crombie. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, is there anything to the old saying, happy wife, happy life? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. Happy wife, happy life. It's an old saying we've all heard, and probably some of us have lived it. But does it have validity in keeping a relationship together? Professor Matthew Johnson of the University of Alberta tested it with the tools of social science. Our focus here really was on an old question that's been in relationship science and popular culture as well. This idea that women have unique um, insight and experience in relationships compared to men and that women's uh, experiences are more predictive or diagnostic of what's going to happen in the future of that relationship. And you think that's encapsulated in that, again, old saw, happy wife, happy life? Not exactly, but that gets at this idea that women have primacy in relationships in some way. And what did you actually find? We asked couples 
thousands of couples actually, how how happy they were in their relationship across day to day. So following couples for 21 days and then also over longer time spans. So yearly for up to uh, five years. And just ask them how satisfied they were in their relationship, which is a really good broad catch-all indicator of how things are going at a given point in time. And what we found was that, yes, women were barometers of relationships in that how satisfied women were at a given point in time predicted how satisfied they would be tomorrow, how satisfied they'd be next year for themselves, but also for their partners. But we found men were also barometers. Their satisfaction was just as strong an indicator of future uh, functioning in that partnership for themselves and for their partner as well. I'd like to get into this day-to-day versus year-to-year. What is the interconnection? Because you can be really annoyed on a day-to-day basis and still be happy year-to-year, or does it take a lot of bad days to make a bad year-to-year? What did you find on that? I mean, the idea here is is that, you know, we live our lives day-to-day, and um, sometimes with these longer-term studies, you can say, well, yes, we see this link across years, but why is anything I do today would have any link with what happens farther in the future? So, Testing these two time scales was really critical to, to this idea because there's the idea that, yeah, day to day, it's how we live our lives. The flip side of that, though, is that for most couples, things don't change that dramatically on a daily basis. And I mean, especially over a three week time span, we're not going to see the development of any major problems, most likely. So some things take a longer time to develop and happen in a relationship. So maybe it's that uh, women wouldn't be more diagnostic on a daily level because there's just not that much change that's there. But over that longer time frame, when more serious problems or more serious events in the relationship might occur, that's where we'd see that increased diagnostic ability for women just didn't work out that way. Men were just as predictive on the daily level. Men were just as predictive on the annual level as well. Anything else that you'd like to tell us about? What struck me and I am thinking about for my own life is the fact that what happens today in my relationship is a good indicator of what's going to happen tomorrow, the next week, and maybe even long-term indicators. So if things are going well today, reflect on that, figure out why are things going so well? What am I doing? What is my wife doing? And capitalize on those, double down on the things that are going well to maximize your chances of uh, future happiness. Flip side is also true. If things aren't going so well, if we're not connecting or if we're arguing or um, just um, kind of indifferent toward one another, whatever it may be, also figure that out. Why is it that we're unhappy or not be not experiencing as much happiness as we typically do? Figure it out and deal with it, cope with it, contain it, address it so that it doesn't just linger. One thing that we talk about in the in the paper is emotional residue, where 
what happens today tends to still be evident in your in your future interaction. So make sure that if there are those negatives, you don't let that continue to color and bleed into uh, the future days with your partner. One of the things I always thought about that old saying, happy wife, happy life, I, I thought it sort of was tinged with sexism. It's like, uh, you've got to get the naggy wife off your back, make her happy and everything will be all right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a cringeworthy saying because it really positions women as this princess in relationships that has to be, you know, constantly attended to and coddled in order to have any chance of a of a happy life. And, you know, one since this article came out earlier this week, one of the things that I've heard um, from several, you know, commenters and um, on the radio, et cetera, is rather than happy wife, happy life, maybe we should think about happy spouse, happy house. <laughs> and I think that's a much better indicator. Happy spouse, happy house. Uh, that's, that's a good one. Dr. Matthew Johnson, thanks so much. Thanks. That was family science professor Dr. Matthew Johnson. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.